0: This week on the It's a Monkey podcast.
1: It doesn't take ad spend to make that happen now with content marketing and how many people are skipping over Google ads. They're not even seeing ads. There's like, you know, such a thing as ad blindness that's happening and people are going straight to the organic results of Google. They're skipping those ads. So if you can come up with something so original and creative, win that spot it may take a lot up front, a lot of time, maybe money. But once you're there, it's not like you have that faucet of ad spend that you have to turn on and off.
0: Good morning, good evening, hello, wherever you are in the world. My name is Kevin Garba. I am the CEO of Manage Flutter and Manage Social. And hey, as a little aside, if you want to register as an alpha tester of Manage Social... We have made a lot of progress and we're going to be opening it up slowly but surely. If you an existing Managed Fitter user, if you use Twitter a lot, if you want to schedule tweets, clean up your account, find accounts to follow, Manage Social um, is going to slowly come to life. One of the reasons why it's actually taken so long if you follow this journey was um, – and I think I've mentioned this before on the podcast – that uh, we built out a lot of functionality for Instagram because that was one of our most requested features on managed Flitter. And one of the challenges of building on APIs is that uh, the APIs can get shut down and opened up and changed and uh, Instagram shut down that particular API. So we had built all this functionality. So yes, we got caught out by what they call platform risk. But um, we've rebuilt everything on Twitter. It's looking beautiful. And I'd love you to go and register as an alpha tester. If you just go to managesocial.com, they can access uh, the alpha tester link from there, right, Kate?
2: Yes, correct. There's a form on the website.
0: So yeah, and you'll get access to free use of a social media management tool. It's looking beautiful. The team's working really, really hard. But anyway, it's Saturday the twentieth of October. My name's Kevin Garber. It is episode number one to six of our podcast. The it's a Monkey Podcast. Kate, I was thinking the other day. I don't even remember when we named this podcast. I mean, it was before your time. Like a lot of things, I I sort of uh, we decided them very quickly because we weren't sure what path they were going to go down. And we didn't want to paint ourselves into a corner. So I didn't want to call it tech podcast or tech news stories in case it landed up being something different. So I particularly chose a generic name. But anyway, here we are with the name. We're probably not going to change it. Um, <laughs> although I realized the abbreviation of It's a Monkey is, is I Am, which is pretty cool. So we could call it the I Am podcast, right? Oh,
2: that's cool. I Am. Yeah, I've been using IAM, like the letters in, uh, in Slack for a okay. while now, to abbreviate, like when we're talking about tasks related to the podcast.
0: Yeah, that also works. I am so yeah, because it's a monkey. It's it's um it's long. It's 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 a bit clunky. It's got a apostrophe in the name. It's I, I I probably in in hindsight I would have chose something differently, but anyway, it's uh gives us an excuse to have a chat every now and then. As usual, we got a terrific guest coming up. Part two of Julia McCoy. In our last podcast, we chatted with Julia McCoy, who's the CEO of Express Writers and the author of Practical Content Strategy and Marketing and Educator at contentstrategycourse.com. And we went on a bit of a, a tangent talking about Julia's upbringing and growing up in a cult, which was I just found so fascinating that we sidetracked the actual chat about content marketing. So this week, we'll play the second part where we actually chat about content marketing, which is still the big, the big tool. Of online marketing and it's uh, there's, you can always learn more about content marketing and you can always get inspired to do more and to rethink content marketing. So that's coming up later on in the show. As usual, I have my co-host with me virtually, Kate Rapel, who is somewhere in Canada, I don't know, <laughs> Northern Alberta or somewhere obscure.
2: <laughs> no, I'm in Kimberley, so I'm still in British Columbia. I'm in a place, little town called Kimberley. It's close to a resort called Fernie, maybe three hours from Calgary.
0: Calgary famous for the Winter Olympics, right?
2: Yes. Yes.
0: Right. so. So
2: think like the bottom inner corner of BC.
0: So the Canadians come to Australia to surf and swim and the Australians go to Canada to ski and snowboard. Yep. Everyone wants to experience what they don't have, right?
2: Sometimes, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> Even just for a little while, it's something different.
0: Yeah, no, it's uh, traveling is definitely one of the gifts of our our generation. It's it's uh, a wonderful way to to keep the inspiration and to get new new inputs into the system. You never really quite know in life where inspiration is going to come from on a personal level or a professional level. And traveling can definitely shake the tree to um, put you in situations where you might be surprised by total new inspiration.
2: Yeah, for sure. This uh, last, what are we on, maybe 18 months since I've left Sydney has been amazing, like full of new experiences and life lessons. It's been great.
0: And, of course, Canada was only the second country in the world this week to legalize marijuana.
2: Yes, two days ago.
0: And here's a quiz question for you. Do you know who the first country was? No. You want to have a guess?
2: No. who was it
0: uruguay
2: uruguay wow little
0: little south american country near argentina yeah that that have an amazing soccer team considering their tiny country and they actually have good developers as well i've met some startups in san francisco that are uruguayan and yeah look i mean i'm not into the whole sort of pot economy and everything so i i don't really keep track of all of this but yeah when I saw Canada had legalized it and they were the second country I was like wow okay I wonder who the first was and uh, surprisingly it was Uruguay I mean I mean America's got some states but it's not legalized on a federal or federal level
2: no there's a lot of um, controversy about that too especially with Canada now being legal when you cross the border you have to be really careful what you say uh, to the border security
0: yeah I would imagine it's uh it's it's it causes uh, some some trickiness. Anyway, so Kate's in Canada. I'm in wonderful Sydney, Australia, which is coming into the summer season. And summer in Sydney is full of surfing and and nature. And it's a, it's a very wonderful place to be. But um, we're going to talk about tech, as always. And uh, boy, so much happens the whole time. Kate, my, my dream is to have a daily tech news show. I'd love to do that, just every day talk tech news for one hour because there's so much that goes on. And I'd love a team of producers that line up a few interviews for me. And for an hour, we just have a couple of sort of two to three interviews and we talk about the tech news of the day. I think it would be so interesting and so useful for, for people, don't you think?
2: Yeah, I think it would. If it was short and sweet, especially. Yeah, and the bigger news too, like the, um, some of the legal issues and stuff would be super interesting.
0: Well, you're helping people make sense of the industry, which is just changes and moves, and and it's even just social media. Even if you forget about tech, I mean, social media the changes constantly. So, um, I do love talking about tech. So, um, who knows? Maybe one day we can uh, we can do that. But you need a team. I mean, even our podcast, people don't probably realize that it's it's work for you and for me and for a couple of people in the sidelines that edited and put it together. So, it it's uh everything everything has a flow and effect of work but anyway let's let's get into the exciting things tech news eu and android this is quite a big story the eu um our google has said that uh in future if phone manufacturers want their phones to be used by people in the eu then phone manufacturers are going to not so much not, let me rephrase that if not have their phone work in the EU, but if they want their Android phones to access the Google Play Store, they're going to have to pay Google up to, what was it, €40 or $40 per phone?
2: $40
0: a device, yeah. $40 per device. A lot of people are saying, Kate, that this is in in a bit of a backlash to the big fine, that Google was fined for some, I think it was some antitrust violations in the EU.
2: Yeah, so the European Commission uh, ruled, well, they they came after Google um, and made them break apart their apps because um, they were saying that by bundling Search and Chrome into the the package with the Google Play Store and some of their other apps that Google was stifling innovation and cutting off opportunities for other device makers. And they, uh, the court ruled that uh, as true and Google got a $5 billion fine, I believe.
0: Oh, um, it, yeah. it sounds a lot to us, but uh, Google has a lot of money in the bank that it's crazy but five billion even doesn't move the needle for them but well maybe that's an understatement i mean five billion is a lot even for them but it's not going to bring be the downfall of the company
2: sure yeah and the the commission you know they see this this breakup of the apps as a way to increase competition and allow other people to come in but in a way the way google's having to package this and charge for it now it's actually costing consumers more So yeah, that's where this $40 charge could be coming in. It's not 100% in yet. But so they've had to debundle all the apps. So you can have the Google Play Store um, and a few other apps for a base price, which is I think the $40. Um, But if you choose to put Search and Chrome into your bundle, then they can actually work out a deal with you so you don't have to pay that money.
0: Okay, now it's not clear. So this is... So Google's going to charge the phone manufacturers and then it will be up to the phone manufacturers to decide how they pass on this cost or absorb the cost, right? So as a user, you're not going to be actually paying Google anything directly.
2: No, not as a user, no. This is all about the phone manufacturers.
0: Yeah. I mean, what's interesting as well is they're making the judgment call that it's – because Google really wanted Android to be – you know, dominance. Now, obviously, this is going to provide a little bit of friction in terms of uh, increasing penetration of Google. I would imagine.
2: Uh, uh it is. It's supposed to sort of open up the market, uh, but at the same time, you know, if you want, like, you know, you want the Google Play Store, right? So that that's the only way to get apps like Facebook or Instagram, Snapchat, all that sort of stuff. Is you need an app store or the Google Play Store, so you're going to be paying for that or you can do a deal with Google and use Google search, which I guess it depends on the user, but a lot of people are gonna use Google anyway. So you could do that and save yourself the $40 a device.
0: So if, if the phone manufacturers pay $40, they get access to the Google play store. If they don't pay $40, they just get access to Chrome.
2: No, no, so they can get out of the $40 cost if they mm-hmm. sign up for Search and Chrome as well, right? So then Google...
0: Ah, uh, okay. Yeah. Okay. yeah. I see. So if, if they say, okay, include Chrome and Search on your phone, then we'll waive the $40 fee.
2: Somewhat, yes. That You've got to come to individual agreements with the right. manufacturer, but that's what they're sort of getting at okay, at this stage. That's...
0: That seems quite intelligent because then Google are saying to the authorities, well, fine, we'll unbundle if you want to, but we're actually going to charge you for unbundling. Exactly. And if we stay bundled, we won't charge you. Yeah. Um, wow. Okay. That That's an interesting, <laughs> that's an interesting smart approach, I think, um, yeah. as long as it's legally sound, but they obviously know what they know what they're doing. And the EU doesn't think that that's a, that's a backhand method of staying bundled, which it sort of is, Mm. but, and you know, a lot of these tech companies cater, you know, Microsoft, when Microsoft was at its peak, they were under a lot of pressure by the US government to break up uh, parts of their business as well, because they owned Internet Explorer and they owned Windows and that was bundled as well. And I think they were also pushed to unbundle because I think at some stage you couldn't install Windows without having Internet Explorer, if I remember correctly. And the government forced them to provide the option of being able to uninstall or not pre-install Internet Explorer. So uh, in America, at least, they've been down this um, route before. And the EU, I don't even think, existed at the time. But, yeah, it's it's – Countries are are particularly sensitive to monopolies that are are vertically vertically integrated and then stifle competition. The the aim is just to keep competition going with the belief that everyone benefits in a very competitive market. And as soon as there's weird monopolies, the user or the customer loses out.
2: For sure, yeah. It's a a tricky one as well. And the way that – so this is all speculation at Google – have not actually announced this this is an article I found online, but yeah they they're basing their price as well, so the forty dollars is only for certain pixel density devices Saw that.
0: yeah 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 so they're sort of scaling it by the the um, complexity and i e sorry and the, the price of the phone in a way
2: yeah, so generally uh, a higher pixel density device will cost more, so therefore they charge
0: more. And And tablets
2: will just be in a league of their own.
0: And slight tangent, Google released Pixel 3, so the new Google Android phone. I've got a Google Pixel 2. The reviews coming out of Pixel 3 are pretty good, particularly um, their camera and some other bits and pieces. But it's uh, an incremental change, not a, a significant change to the Google Pixel 2. I have to say, Kate, a lot of people that have moved to Pixel, even from Android, are very happy with it. So be iPhone do have some some competitive, uh, which is good, which is good actually for everyone. So yeah, so that's a uh, new Android. I might go actually first, wait until it hits the stores in Sydney so I can have a physical play with it and see what it looks like. Mm. Um, I'm loving my Pixel 2 XL. And uh, there's some really Fantastic plans these days on phones in Sydney. I'm not exactly sure how these telcos make money anymore. They throw in phones and tablets and data, and yeah, it's uh, it's it's a fantastic offers these days. So I'll go and see if they can offer me anything. Speaking of photos, second news story that we wanted to chat about: Adobe to bring full full Photoshop app to the ipad now i think they announced this quite a few months ago didn't they kate and now they're actually hitting the go switch on it
2: yeah no it says they've announced it this week they've had other apps on the ipad they've got one sort of just for drawing and sketching which i use quite often but they're going to bring a full full photoshop which is quite impressive Um, and i'd be quite keen to take a look at it they announced that this week There's some mixed reactions as well, because there's been a few other apps like Affinity and Procreate, which have already established themselves uh, on the iPad, but they're a bit different because they're sort of like a one-time purchase from the app store for $20, $10, for example. Whereas uh, Adobe kind of dominates the design market, because if you have a subscription, then a lot of the time you can get any of the Adobe products. So. You know, you can download Photoshop and it, you're already paying for it. So it's kind of a, a no brainer.
0: Yeah. Look, Adobe, I have to say, it's very impressive how they've moved into the cloud. They obviously realized that they needed to and have uh, online versions and subscription versions and all of that. Yeah. I think, I think they did announce a few months ago that it was coming. Mm. Uh, I'm pretty sure they, um, but that was obviously just uh, to get people, you know, start to, aspiring to have it on the ipad and now it's interesting that they've actually gone full i mean photoshop must be one of the oldest products that has been in consistent use
2: yeah well they're always iterating on it though there's updates all the time but yeah about the the subscription as well they i think i read somewhere it was like 44 percent increase in revenue by moving to the subscription model because you used to be able to buy them just on a like on a disc they used the to be
0: really expensive, right? Like you remember, it used to be thousands of dollars for a Photoshop license, and companies would get into trouble the whole time for having hacked versions. Of, yeah, of, because it was so expensive. So this I don't is a think case. I ever of,
2: bought it as a as a business. I think I got a student package at uni. Yeah,
0: um, yeah, they, they had good student ones, but no, I definitely, as a business owner, I remember paying those license fees. And I remember they were hurting because um, they were they were expensive, yeah. yeah. Um, but now they're making more money, and consumers are happier. And um, I miss—I used to use Photoshop quite a bit. I actually miss using it. It was one of these products that was uh, really a pleasure to use. I used to actually teach basic Photoshop in a uni course that I used to teach web development. And I used to—believe it or not—scary thought, me teaching Photoshop. it was very basic: how to crop and. <laughs> Um, you know different layers, and it was just an introduction to Photoshop. That's cool. That's cool. Yeah, it was 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 pretty cool. So yeah, that's uh, Adobe to bring full, full Photoshop app to iPad. What about um, Android? No Photoshop for Android app uh, tablets?
2: I'm not sure to be honest. I've never used yeah. it. have never used Adobe on an Android or a non. Non-Apple I've got- device, really. I, like, I think I did on the early days in high school, but that's I can't really remember much about that. I've only really ever used it on Apple, really.
0: I do have some Adobe apps on my Android Pixel, but then it's not Photoshop.
2: No, Adobe uh, have done so well in the last couple of years with, the, um, with creating mobile apps and um, sort of getting into the social media space as well instead of just staying in graphic design and videography. So they've got these apps called um what is it Adobe Spark and Spark mm-hmm. Video and there's a whole series of them. I've got a couple on my phone too, but they help you um create posts for social media and the template sizes they've got like a um a stock image library they've got fancy fonts and it's kind of it's sort of like canva. Um, but it comes as part of your like, Adobe subscription, so you can download and use them. Super simple. They've got everything from basic photo, um, like Facebook photo templates to YouTube thumbnails, like all the template sizes you could imagine. And you can use it on desktop and mobile, which
0: is quite cool. Yeah, look, I mean, Adobe's a fantastic company, and even, and this is not advice, financial advice, but it's a great stock to keep an eye on as well. Their share price has done pretty well. You know who we should talk to? Our Australian Dogecoin friend.
2: Jackson he works Palmer. In,
0: yeah, Jackson Palmer. He's from Sydney and I'm um, pretty sure he's still working for Adobe. I um, wonder if we could chat to him not about crypto but actually chat to him about Adobe, which would yeah. be cool. I'm just having, having a look. Um, super smart guy, super lovely guy. He's always been generous with giving us podcast interviews. There's a product at Adobe. So should reach out to him and see if we can, even if he can't chat with us, but someone else at Adobe can chat with us. And we
3: have
0: we have one of the Adobe people actually has a managed Flitter user as well. So could probably reach out. So anyway, thinking out aloud, don't mind me while I make some <laughs> mental notes for future future podcast guests. But yeah, good uh, Good company to keep an eye on. I, I'm fascinated by the stock market and Adobe is one of the, the shares I definitely keep an eye on because they, they've they managed to reinvent themselves a few times. There's actually quite an interesting story about one of the founders of Adobe. If, if anyone's interested, just Google founder of Adobe. I think he's still involved on a consulting basis and it originally started as another product that got bought by some, There's There's a bit of a convoluted history But, um, and I believe he still comes into the office and gives feedback on, on some of the products. So anyway, but I need to refresh. It's just come from the, the sort of the memory bank somewhere that I've read something about it. Anyway, that's news item. You're listening to the Monkey podcast, episode one, two, six, email us podcast at it's Follow us on Twitter. Sometimes we tweet out little, um, video clips of Kate and I and, um, you can follow us on Facebook and uh, yeah, if you want to give a shout out to us and about your business and about your product, uh, we'd always love to love to uh, support the industry. Drop us a line at com. We're going to take a short break then we're going to uh, play the interview that I did with Julie McCoy, um, who's a content marketer extraordinaire and we spoke with her about uh, everything related to content marketing. So just stick around. That's coming up in a few minutes.
3: Hi, my name is Joe Pinto. I'm the Business Operations Manager here at Manage Flitter. Did you know that Twitter can be a powerful social selling platform? But the first step to effective social selling on Twitter is to grow your Twitter account with high quality niche followers. For example, let's say you are an online bicycle retailer. Manage Flitter could help you grow your Twitter account, by helping you find and follow people who have the word cyclist in their bio. The more targeted your search is, the higher likelihood these Twitter accounts will follow you back. We have millions of users, literally, that have used ManageFlitter's search, sort and filtering tools to grow their account with the right followers. This has provided them with a solid base to kickstart their social selling. Feel free to drop by manageflitter.com to trial our product or email us at contact at manageflitter.com to schedule an obligation-free walkthrough.
0: You're back with It's a Monkey Podcast. My name is Kevin Garber. We talk about everything relating to tech, startups, entrepreneurship, and if you're a regular listener to this podcast, or even a semi-regular listener, which I hope you are, on last week's episode, you would have heard that we chatted with Julia McCoy, who's the CEO of Express Writers and the author of Practical Content Strategy and Marketing. Now, what was interesting with that chat is I chatted with Julia. I, I dragged Julia on. She was a guest on the uh, social ROI Twitter chat, and I actually dragged Julia on onto the podcast to talk about content marketing and we started with Julia's story and it landed up that Julia's story, her founding story is a little bit more interesting than usual. So we landed up spending half an hour talking about Julia's story and life story and how she landed up in content marketing. So if you haven't listened to that, go back one episode just to give you a little bit of a taste a taste here. And this is public information because Julia is going to be writing a book about her story. That Julia grew up in a cult on the east coast of the US. And while she was in this uh, cult slash community, she started building a content marketing business through finding clients on Craigslist. So it's a fascinating story, but we never got around to actually talking about content marketing. <laughs> so I wanted to bring Julia back on to the podcast. I managed to twist her arm and and say, come on, let, let's talk about. The other part, the part two. So the part one, your life is a juicy bit, and then there's another juicy bit, content marketing. Now let's let's get into that, jules Firstly, thank you and welcome again for for being back on the podcast, part two.
1: Oh, thank you so much for having me. This is an honor to be asked back.
0: So content marketing. Now, content marketing's been a been a buzzword for a long time. You know, it's it's the the process of, of putting out content that's relevant to your target market so that they can find you. Um, it's still like a, like a bit like SEO, I guess. It's, it's something that people think they understand. They never totally understand. It seems like it's a little bit of an art. I guess, talk us through a little bit of in 2018, what is content marketing today? What's it all about?
1: Yeah, so I think you started defining a really good a really good basis of it, you know, for me, the fundamental part of content marketing is that you're not broadcasting to your audience. You're instead serving them with something of value. So instead of just putting out a message that says, you know, buy my stuff, click on this link, here's a coupon, et cetera, you're actually serving them with a piece of content that meets them at their need. And if that's at Google, when they're looking up, you know, how to create something, like let's say a DIY outdoor project. And if your blog is the most useful guide on that topic, they're going to follow you. And that whole ecosphere is really awesome because it's like today marketers have an opportunity to create relationships instead of just broadcasting, advertising, putting out a one-sided thing. We can actually have a human interaction with our people that buy from us. So content marketing you know, to me, it just defines as putting out useful content that really meets your people, your your audience, your buyers, where they need it, at whatever stage they're at.
0: It's about answering a, a specific question as well, right?
1: Yes, absolutely.
0: It's about answering a specific question. I mean, in a way, this podcast is a piece of content marketing. I guess it's more the, the podcast as a whole is, is a little bit more of a, a, a less defined piece of content marketing, but what's interesting about the podcast and probably co- uh, content marketing pieces in general is the, the longevity that they have. I was going through our podcast analytics mm. with someone yesterday and people, people will listen to podcasts from two years ago last week. And, and it's, I think, I think the, the difference with, uh, Content marketing, as opposed to maybe ad spend, is that it, you can really squeeze a lot of value for a long time out of content mm. marketing. Um, Absolutely. They, they yes. That's
1: the beauty of it.
0: They don't necessarily date. I mean, it depends on your industry, I guess. But even if you are in an industry that moves fast, you can update um, blog articles, you can update videos that are successful. It's something we we at to probably need to do a little bit better. We've got some articles that are very, very highly ranked and um, we probably need to go back and update them. So that that's a tip to look at your best performing articles, right? And go back and update them regularly.
1: Yes, absolutely. That's a huge tip. That's something in my book, in my course, in my blogs. Is that sometimes updating your older content can actually net you sales and return quicker than putting out a new piece because of the investment you have to research a keyword or a topic. You have to really dig down. It not like it's not like it was ten years ago when so many less pieces of content were going out. I think it's now 2 million blogs a day on average are going out. How do you stand out? Well, that's gotten so much harder. So instead of creating a new piece of content, and sometimes it's so much higher ROI just to go back and update something that's ranking, getting traffic, but isn't maybe as high quality as it could be. So that's a huge piece of doing content well.
0: And I think, you know, writing is something that Everyone think well, not everyone. I mean, people – sometimes it's it's underestimated how difficult it is to write well. I mean, it's it's easy mm. to write, but writing well yeah. is, is really difficult, like anything else. I, I think it is a skill that a lot of people can learn with a bit of practice, and I think a lot of people are just out of practice, and they need some mentorship and guidance around it. But um, I actually saw a tweet mm. during the week, Julia, where someone tweeted – one of the smart entrepreneur VC sorts that I follow. And uh, he tweeted that the best way to, to have a fast trajectory through your career is to keep improving your writing and communication skills. And uh, I know it's hmm. a little bit unrelated to content marketing, but, the, but you know, upping your writing skills in general, particularly in our industry, which is a tech industry, Wow, it's it's it really is such a good point, isn't that that communication? It, it, we forget that even though um, you know we we are in the tech industry, we still I always say every business is a people business, and between every people person is communication. So to up your writing skills is. Uh, It's going to stand you in good stead in any case. But, yeah, I see a lot of blog articles that are just – and I get pitched from a lot of guest bloggers that that really, to be honest, they they really don't know how to – they don't write well, and there's a lot of fluff. I mean, I think you've got to stay away from articles that essentially say very little or say nothing. You do not want to create pieces of content that don't add value to anyone. That's when Google knows that it's just not worth anything, and you're actually better off doing nothing.
1: Yes, you hit the nail on the head. <laughs> That's what I've been saying for years. It's critical to write well. That's such a fundamental of creating content marketing. And it's it's easy to think that that part is easier than what it is. But whenever you look at all the amount of content out there, like if you're scrolling through Google and you're looking at the one you want to click on, sometimes it comes down to how well the meta description is written or how well the headline answers your problem. And that could be the result of someone spending hours of time. I've interviewed smart blogger, which is run by John Morrow. Who's one of the top bloggers in the world. He's like one of my favorite bloggers and his team will spend 45 minutes in the editing process, just looking at the first paragraph and it's just like, that's a hundred words of copy that doesn't even cover the rest of the content how much time they've spent on creation reviewing the whole thing adding articles checking links checking facts so that's like where you have to be with content now and if that investment is something that you're not willing to make sometimes that content's going to fall so flat because there's just so much out there you really have to work hard to stand out
0: yeah i think um you know the social roi which is a twitter chat that happens tuesday night us time wednesday morning australia time we put seven questions to a guest around a topic and those seven questions even though they one or two sentences we have two to three people that look at them and rework them and mm. the title the title alone in particular we rework a few times and it's it's not the most I mean it's work I mean we get there I'm not saying it's the most right. difficult thing in the world but but we actually put quite a lot of effort into getting the questions and the title right because it's we want to you know we try Everything we do, we try to have a certain baseline of quality. I I must admit that as a small business where we don't have a dedicated marketing manager and content marketer, it is quite difficult sometimes. And it's definitely something I'd love to have as a a full-time word person (laughs) Mm. um, (laughs) that's… But between us all, we 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 do get there. But it's you know a lot of people might look at these seven questions in a title and think, wow, that's just ten minutes work. But it's not. The, the, you know, you want the clarity, you want the um, you want the tone, you want the feel. I mean, Mark Twain said, uh, "I wrote you a long letter because I didn't have time to write you a short letter." Right? <laughs> that's great. <laughs> so, and I was actually quite disappointed when Twitter. Twitter extended to 280 characters because
1: Yeah, I was too at first.
0: Um it sort of worked out and it's it's okay but it it's but, Yeah. I mean forcing you for that brevity and forcing you to be succinct and mm. forcing you to just yeah. brought a certain a certain magic to it because constraints I'm a big believer in constraints in life constraints bring magic it's like even the fact and not to get too philosophical but there's a there's a famous, it's a Greek or Roman myth about a, one of the gods that could live forever. And eventually he begs the other gods to kill him because it just life becomes you know, intolerable. So the constraint even on that level that we don't live forever just makes us appreciate and do stuff, right? So the constraint around content and Twitter. But anyway, we, we digress. Sorry, I'm, I, I've got a habit of going on, on tangents. Let's get back to content marketing, Julia. What I'd like to know is give us a case study of a customer that came to you with a a particular problem be it they need more customers or they want more sales or something and talk us through um, how you approached it what you did and what the results were
1: yeah definitely well i would i'm gonna have to pick out one of our one of my favorite levels of service to give our clients these days is called authority writing and this level of writing is our best like we I will sit down with our top writers, like I'll ask our director, okay, who are our top five writers in our team? And she'll tell me, and then I'll create training materials that will help them get even better. And then I'll look at their writing and tell them what they can improve and give them like a short test. And after that, then they are able to take these assignments, these authority content assignments, we call them. So we had a client come in, I want to say I think it was last December, and they wanted to rank in the top three for something like best web design guide.
0: Really competitive, right?
1: Yes, right. So competitive. (laughs) So we researched and we found a really good long tail keyword that was a derivative of that. Mm -hmm. I think it had like two extra words, but it still netted great traffic and it was super relevant to what they offered. So after we did that research and that's critical because you don't want to create your entire piece around something that's not going to rank because there's maybe there's five HubSpot articles already ranking your chance in the top three is probably never close to never unless you're a big site already. So once we found that keyword that was more long tail and had a better chance at ranking, then we created this long form guide and it was just It was beautiful. Like these kinds of constant pieces are my favorite to create because they just go so far instead of like a short listicle, like this is just an immense guide. We put weeks into it and then we're like designing custom graphs to go along with each of the points and we created it to be evergreen. And, you know, we still gave the client an opportunity to, well, here's some sections where we can fill out more content based on what you know. Here's a place for a CTA. So all of that created, finally, this beautiful guide that we could hand to our client and then they could publish on WordPress on their site and rank for. And they were thrilled with it. They loved this piece of content. And I have to check in with them, but I know that it started to rank within the first 60 days. I don't know where they are now because you caught me off guard. I wasn't ready for a case study. <laughs>
0: That's okay.
1: <laughs> so I'd have to check back in. But that type of content is like what we truly love creating. And like we will do bulk product descriptions. You know, we'll do all kinds of content pieces. But that piece that floats above the rest and just sits there in the top three of Google, which, you know, once you gain that ranking, we've seen pieces stay there for years. It's crazy like once you're in the top three you're not going to be knocked out for a while and it's almost like you know you don't want to call it permanent because nothing in google is permanent but you're going to stay and maintain that for a long time if you've earned it because that means you've put in the work and that content piece is really good it wouldn't be there if it wasn't so that's we just love creating that style of content for our clients
0: and of course google loves google loves long authoritative pieces right yes google loves them Uh, and so and that's where outsourcing uh, or you know getting some help around content marketing makes sense because unless you have a dedicated team or team member right i know even with our business like we've always got great plans we're going to blog this blog that blog that but we get into work there's what we call bau business as usual right Mm -hmm. helping customers (laughs) you know just sort of putting out mm. fires, you know, someone's yes, salary yeah. didn't go through, etc. You know what it's like. You're a business <laughs> owner, right? So, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I really would, a lot of our content pieces that have ranked have been from guest bloggers. Um, we've worked with the chap, um, Evan Dunn, who's an, an excellent social mm-hmm. media um, sort of analyst and he's written some fantastic pieces for us that if you actually Google, I think, Twitter for business, I think we're in the top five, that article. So, it, it definitely does work, but getting help with it um, and the right help. Don't get a fluffy piece that just waffles on. It has to be yeah, something yeah. that when you read it, you find it interesting or your customer finds it interesting yourself. That part is crucial. Google's really smart. You cannot outsmart Google, right? If Google right. knows they, mm. they, got, they got AI and machine learning and they got all sorts of fancy bits and pieces, that they know when it's an interesting piece. If you're going to have a long piece that says nothing – Google is going to know that it's a fluffy piece. Um, they've got a lot of magic there. <laughs> That's why they worth so much money. they got a huge amount of magic. And, of course, if it's an interesting piece, you can repurpose it for Twitter, for Facebook, and, and you can start getting links into that piece, which, of course, adds to the SEO benefit, right?
1: Yes, absolutely. Yeah, links is a big part of it. You know, for the last seven years, I've had the question all the time, how do you get links? And to me, that's such a funny question, because I have never thought of content like that. And I know that makes me way different from many SEO people, many marketers, because they will have a goal of, okay, once we create something, we need to see 50 backlinks. And you can, you know, you can check this in Bosumo. you can see your referring domains. So I've never once done that. Instead, <laughs> it just comes down to the question, how can I create something that is the best piece on this topic? And if I can answer that question, and sometimes it will take three months to achieve that, like three months of creation, research, bringing in maybe five other people to help me with this piece. And then when I'm so proud of this piece that I just want to shout it from the rooftops, that's when we publish And one of these pieces that we sunk a ton of time, resources, revenue into, it just came out today's Wednesday. It just came out Tuesday, the last day of July. And it was a list of the top 100 marketers in content marketing. And we used by Sumo to research it. I talked to their team about, you know, the proprietary factors behind, well, how do you How do you work with this score? What goes into it? So we understood that. And then we looked at the list. We picked out anyone who was built through bots, if their followers included bots and spam, we took those people out. So this final list was then an infographic and a PDF. And that design was so much work. So we risked a lot to put that out. But within the first 24 hours, we had this surge of traffic. That just came in from all these people sharing it on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook. I was tagged in so many Facebook posts. There was one marketer that told us, "Look, Ma, I've made it!"
0: <laughs> oh, you appeal to people's egos, boy. That's a powerful thing. That's why people love these lists. I see people on Twitter the whole time. I'm part of, you know, Forbes top, you know, marketer right. in Sedona list or something. You know. Uh, But we
1: really tried to create a good list uh and people noticed that they were like, Oh, they took out the spam. You know, we can tell this is a curated list. And so they were extra honored instead of just another list. So with backlinks that all of that was to say, like if you care about the quality and really put a lot, like it's risky, it's very risky to put that amount of resources into one piece. But if you do the amount of links that will happen, traffic shares, results, people clicking on your stuff that will happen much more. So if you think of it from the beginning like that, instead of, okay, now that it's out, how do I go get links? It's going to be so much harder to get links that way.
0: You know, Julia, there's a theme that I've been seeing by a lot of um, sort of the business writers that I follow and you know, people like Seth Godin and Tom Peters. They've all been talking recently about one thing, that the world is moving very, very fast and there's this temptation to do everything fast. But they've been talking a lot about how the importance to do things slow and properly has become... or it's always been important and it's always been the way. But there's this fallacy that everything's achieved quickly these days and it's not it's not really true i mean there's a few total outliers like the success of instagram and the success of facebook that Mm -hmm. that sort of happened you know really quickly and but they they such it's they sort of like lightning strikes you know they they, they're so Mm -hmm. far out there that they almost and they they affect all of our perspective because everything worthwhile building a team Takes a lot of time, and you've got to. I mean, when we'll interview 20, 30 developers to hire one developer, you know, and that's a lot of work. I mean, that's a huge amount. I sit and Skype interview after Skype interview, and but there's no shortcut because to find the right one takes time and so it's it's we really all have to to produce quality of anything and 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 i say this to the team as well it's just slow down sometimes just slow down Mm -hmm. the mistakes happen when we're trying to do too much too quickly slow down review and the quality will will pay off it will start feeding through the benefits um so you know taking the time to build out the right content pieces is important it's 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 you know on the backlink you know i think you know, we had a similar experience with Managed Flutter. with, we were lucky enough to to find a niche to build a product that people loved. And they started blogging about us and they started putting YouTube videos about us. And, and we, and you know, so the backlinks do come if you're providing value along the way. So don't get overly obsessed with the, with the links and the bank links, I mean you can be creative, right? I mean I think what I often say to a lot of startups is get to understand how PR works. PR is a remarkably simple thing to understand, and if you create a great content piece like you created, you can you can get some um, free PR, right? Like you can send yes. out send out a message and bump it. Oh my gosh! And, so and, true. And people, you know, radio stations will call you. And, you know, we we did a, a thing a few years ago. We've got another product called CheckDog, which monitors sites for spelling errors and broken links. And we came up with a PR initiative. And a tiny, tiny team at the time of three, four people. And we ran spell checks on the top ten universities' websites. And we published an article on the the Ivy League universities with the worst spelling. And oh that's great <laughs> boy did we cause pandemonium we got on sky news we got interviewed by radio stations and new zealand radio wow. stations
1: it's oh, amazing so
0: <laughs> pr pr can really fit in nicely with with uh, nice content pieces as well so content's a wonderful tool for for startups and, and small businesses um to to really sort of um amplify who you are what you do and your presence
1: Yes, and I love what we talked about earlier that it doesn't take ad spend to make that happen now with content marketing and how many people are skipping over Google ads. They're not even seeing ads. There's like, you know, such a thing as ad blindness that's happening and people are going straight to the organic results of Google. They're skipping those ads. So if you can come up with something so original and creative, win that spot It may take a lot up front, a lot of time, maybe money. But once you're there, it's not like you have that faucet of ad spend that you have to turn on and off based on how much money you have in the bank because you've earned your spot and now you can watch those leads come in. And that's what's happened completely at my agency is we've been able to blog for the past seven years. We have over a 1000 blogs out. And at the beginning, I admit, like I was publishing rushed, and it was not the best content. (laughs) And so we've gotten more strategic in the last two years. And now we're not afraid to take three months on a piece of content, because we know that risk will always result in more traffic, shares, links, And even revenue from people finding that and then, oh, gosh, we're a writing company. You know, (laughs) if we write really well, people want to hire us. So that part is kind of simple.
0: Yeah. I mean, your product really speaks for itself, right?
1: Right. Exactly.
0: It really speaks for itself. So, Julia, what what are some tips if there's a small business and they want to start, you know, blogging? They don't have much time, much resources. What's something they can do to get started with this exercise that's uh, that's very manageable yet will have some impact and effect for them?
1: Great question. Well, you know, I know that SEO, it gets some of a bad rap, somewhat of a bad rap these days because there's marketers that are so divided over it, like how long it takes, for example, to rank. Mm-hmm. So it gets that bad rap. But in the end, SEO is so extremely valuable and small businesses especially can really benefit. And what I would say is keyword research, start with getting strategic. What are your people looking for on Google? Know your, and that comes down to knowing your customer, what are their interests? If you sell a product that could be a really specific product keyword and the more specific, the better, because that will bring you this long tail keyword that the more words in the keyword, usually the less the competition. Like as opposed to the keyword black dress, which has so much competition. Macy's probably has the first results. As opposed to that, you want to think about the person Who's buying it, their size, maybe the event it's for, you know, so like black dress for a prom, black summer dress for a prom. So that type of keyword is what you want to think about, something really specific. And then I always recommend using a keyword tool so you know exactly what you're up against. So my favorite tools are SEMrush and a tool called Keyword Finder Mm -hmm. by Mangles. And it's spelled like mango and then OLS. So that tool is really cheap. I think it's like twenty nine or thirty a month. It starts at that. SEMrush starts at a hundred a month. So with Keyword Finder, you can type in your product, your category. For us, like that's looking at keywords under content marketing, blogging services, or like how to blog. So those are the keywords we tend to go after. So with Keyword Finder, it gives you this metric, a score of one to a hundred. How difficult is this keyword? So it tells you right off the bat how hard it is to rank for that keyword based on who's already ranking, how much traffic it gets every month. So those are some of the metrics that go into that score. And that makes it so much easier, saves so much time.
0: Google's got their own tools as well that you can use, right? I mean they, they Google might not... keyword planner. Yep. Yeah. I mean it's yes. a good it's a good start as well. Might not be the UI's UI not as good and it's not as slick, but um it's it's not a bad place to start Google, Google keyword planner.
1: There has been um in the past, Rand Fishkin, this was a few years ago though. Rand Fishkin at Moz has said that Google Keyword Planner actually hides low competition keywords.
0: Oh uh, naughty Google. Of
1: AdWords. <laughs> Google. <laughs> Come on. So he recommended not using okay. that.
0: Okay. <laughs> I love I love these conspiracy theories. Twitter shadow banning people, and I, I I love I love it. Just as a quick aside, I did I did Google black dress, but I re- bear in mind I'm in Australia, so my 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 rankings are going to be different to you. And uh, it was a, it's a company. I don't know. Maybe you're f- familiar with it. Have you heard of? There's a Cotton On a, a, a website called Cotton On
1: i don't uh, think so yeah, which is
0: interesting it, I, it, it doesn't look like a big company <laughs> um they have the first black dresses black lace dresses and more cotton on Well, say hello to your new bestie with our epic range of little black dresses so there we go maybe maybe wow. and actually the big australian brands are not in the first page for black dresses there you go how's that
1: How? that's amazing! So that's even more proof. You know, maybe the big brands think SEO is dead, and so they're not even doing it.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. All they spend on AdWords. Do you want? Right. I'll I'll tell you something cool as well, Julia. One of the things which is a little bit of a vanity keyword for me personally, we rank number one on Google for the word unfollow. Just unfollow. Really? (laughs) I'm not quite sure how much traffic we get just from that keyword because it doesn't have much context, but. It's sort of cool that that one single keyword we rank number one. So,
1: oh, that's awesome!
0: Yeah, makes it all that's worth oh, it. Wow. No, I'm kidding. It's I just a- <laughs> double
1: checked and I see you. You're actually above the knowledge graph.
0: How cool is that? And
1: Come on! Wow, you're above Facebook.com. <laughs> how cool?
0: How cool is that? You heard it here first, man. So, okay, so we're talking – so do some keyword research. Try some of these tools. Find mm -hmm. out keywords where where there's low competition but um, a lot of traffic. That's your number one. And, you know, what's interesting with small businesses, Julia, is a lot of them are in in niches, right? So Mm -hmm. in niches, it's a lot lot easier, right? If you're selling – Traveled if you if you're selling tickets between LA and Sydney, right? It's 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 unniched. It's very difficult for selling houses. But you know, if I think just in in Sydney, there's there's a lot of niches. There's there's um, you know architects that specialize in eco houses, and there's there's builders that specialize in 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 heritage buildings, or or trainers that specialize in in people not with the first language and things. And you know, all these wonderful niches content marketing, I would bet my bottom dollar, even in 2018, in niches like that, you can win it with with very minimal amount of effort.
1: Yes, absolutely. And, you know, that's where SEO is really kind of like a pot of gold. Like for us, I think we're in the top three for a bunch of keywords around how to write a press release.
0: Okay, I'm going to, I'm going to check that. Hit. I'm going to check that.
1: How to write a personally. Yeah, I want to see.
0: Is. Isn't Are we geeking out here, <laughs> sharing, sharing our know. rankings with each other? Right?
1: <laughs> this is live, you guys. Like, we're actually doing this live. <laughs> I am in
0: Australia, though, and the rankings might be different. So um, True. let's see. How to write a… Okay, HubSpot's number one, Coast schedule, CBS News, WikiHow, Public Relations, ah. Sydney. So, yeah, some of the local ones, Forbes, Oxfam. ProCopywriters.co.uk constant content marketing So in Australia, you're not on the first page yet, Julia. Uh oh.
1: Um, <laughs> have to do some Australia optimization. Yeah. So
0: this is what's interesting as well is Google. Google does a lot of um, targeting per location, and you can even yeah. you can even try this if you go to incognito mode. Huh? You, you get different results to if you're actually in your logged in mode as well that's so true oh, there you know we what go.
1: try the keyword. try blocking statistics
0: so i found you in australia on page 3 so in australia oh, they push no. you down um, here you go how to write a press release featuring five samples express writers and then you underneath you've got another ranking writer you so you got two results one from your 2013's first and then your 2017 is under that
3: oh <laughs> wow so,
0: so google does all sorts of um things so t- tell me what other keyword did you want me to look at
1: try blogging statistics that's a more recent one
0: blogging statistics. sorry to put you on the spot like this by the no, way
1: no no you're fine i like this this is really fun
0: okay <laughs> 28 little known blogging statistics impact oh there we go number two.
1: Oh, how cool is that oh nice
0: why blog? Fifty-two okay. incredible blogging statistics to inspire you. I think I think out of the whole interview I've done with you, this is probably your biggest selling point going to be is that for blogging statistics. <laughs> like it be in there <laughs> for blogging statistics. Even in Australia, you're number two. Why blog? Fifty-two incredible blogging statistics to inspire you. Well done. That's cool. And that's a 2017 okay. article. I'm gonna click through to that. Yeah, nice. Yeah, I'm looking at this 15 to, yeah, terrific.
1: And you know what's interesting, that first result, that knowledge graph, you know, where Google pulls a paragraph Uh straight and puts it in the results, the picture, so the content is from impact brand, but the picture is our blog picture.
0: (laughs) That's weird. You should try it. So there's no snippet that's coming up for me. In the search mm. result there's no snippet it's oh, just it's listings and it's actually no ads as well zero oh. ads zero snippets um i'll send you oh. a, a screenshot later of this yeah so, i'd love to see that so yeah it's it, google's it gets it's quite hard to track because it's it's you know in the old days google was just it was just one set of results and then they started mm. targeting bio and geography and different accounts and the cookies in your computer and it's it's Yes, a, a whole lot more complex. So it's quite difficult to track some of these things as well. Um, but that's, that's yeah, that's so a, true. That's a that's a great one. So I bet this article you're gonna you guys are gonna continue updating, right?
1: Yes, absolutely. I think we just updated it in the last couple of weeks. We found a few dead links. Like that's something important to do too. Those dead links can actually stop your content from ranking. Hey, you should so, check out our
0: product, CheckDog. CheckDog picks up dead links and typos. I'll send you oh, a link to it. Yeah. Cool. It's, it's been It's been a product that's been neglected for many years because Managed Flitter just sort of exploded and we started focusing on Managed Flitter. But um, boy, I love that little product. It's such a simple little neat product. Um, and we've had customers for years on that product that just check everything. Wow. And, and actually, if you Google, Google spell check website i think we used to be number one i don't know um spell check entire website yeah we still we're still on the first page but we've dropped down a little bit so
1: spell check entire website
0: find um, checkdog.com and here's you know here's the power of modern business julia i mean I love your story about how you grew an internet business from insider. I, I feel uncomfortable saying cult. I'm not quite sure why. I keep on wanting to call it community. I feel like I'm mm-hmm. going to be offending you if I say cult because it's the place that you grew up in. Um, no,
1: you're not. I've learned to face what it is.
0: Well, I, you know, to build a business that's uh, a, a, it's now a decent-sized business that started out within a cult and, and from Craigslist, and you look at Check Dog which is a niche little business that we built many years ago and it's just ticked along and um, generated Mm. a a little bit of money for us and this is the modern world of business is so exciting it's just Mm. you know the early capitalists couldn't have even dreamed of these type of models and and um, Mm. impacts that we could have with all it's it's you know you don't you don't have to be a industrialists raising millions of dollars to start businesses and how wonderful is that it's just it's a dream yeah. you know it you is. need an internet connection yeah. and a 300 hundred dollar laptop that's can <laughs> starbucks yeah. and build a business or you
1: can go to a library you don't even need a computer like that's just so accessible
0: yeah it was interesting when i was in france recently i spent a bit of time in the Pompidou center library which was fantastic You're doing some work and it was interesting watching the people on computers there because there were clearly people that didn't own computers and they were sitting watching YouTube videos for hours and it's it's fantastic everyone has access to all this this resource. The libraries have been reinvigorated mm-hmm. with technology which is which wow. Is, which, <laughs> which is fantastic. Mm-hmm. So Sorry, we were saying you're going to rework that article. You're going to you find the broken links, the you find the the yeah, any errors, and you keep on tweaking that article so so your ranking stays nice and fresh, right?
1: Right, absolutely. And meta descriptions and meta titles are a big part of updating content. And you know, Google, I think their spokesperson has said. That doesn't really direct rankings. Uh-huh. They've come out and put that in a statement, but every time we update that and we make sure it's there with a new piece of content, it always seems to impact the rankings in some way.
0: So updating your meta description so that 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 pulls in the snippet under the search
1: Yes. And that's fluctuated in word count. So Google lengthened it a few months ago, and now they've shortened it again. So now it's back to like one and a half sentences is the optimal length, and <laughs> it fluctuated like that within just I think three to four month span, which was crazy.
0: Yeah, I mean, Google obviously don't want that. They they have to balance the, the amount of information they put out with with too much so they don't want people to game their system for obvious reasons otherwise the results would all get polluted but right i guess we all try to i won't use the words game but we 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 are trying to maximize and we, we're all in the business to make a living and to make a buck. so we all it's trying to understand and, and yeah rand fishkin have you read his uh, book apparently it's very good have you read rand fishkin's book about his
1: book. about his business journey I plan to buy it though it's on my wish list
0: yeah i've heard I've heard it's very good from an entrepreneur perspective, his journey of uh, uh building um Mars so yeah, I haven't read it myself, but I've heard it's good so once you've yeah. done your keywords, you've found your long tail, you've got a topic, you've got to write the thing right <laughs>
1: yes <laughs> exactly you gotta write the thing, and that could be. That can be the most difficult part if you're looking, especially for SEO purposes, if that's your goal, and there's many goals for which you want to create content, you know, SEO shouldn't be the only goal for sure. It should also include brand awareness. And maybe you need to create a white paper that talks about your product and meets people at that sales cycle need. But whenever it's for SEO purposes, the quality and the research and the facts that go into the content just it has to be superb in order to achieve results in the rankings and you want to think about you know a real person not just google like i know we've been talking about google ranking but whenever you create this piece if you think about the reader first and foremost like that's what it comes down to when what google is looking for how is this going to best serve a reader which out of these five articles is a reader? going to want to click on. So Google's thinking in terms of a human, you know, a semantic search and serving the content that best helps that human end user. So think about that. And then what we talked about earlier with word counts, Neil Patel recently said, and it's so funny, he put this at the end of his article and I don't read all of his articles, but but I did read this one and I read all the way to the end. And at the very end, he said, he never publishes an article that's less than 2,000 words. Mm. And well, there you go. And he's
0: he's the SEO king, right? Neil Patel, if you're interested in SEO, SEO and content marketing, marketing, have a look at him. Yep.
1: Yes. So he said that and, you know, a lot of the things he says – is like a Bible to especially a newer marketer. But I think that that has to be taken with a grain of salt, not just because Neil Patel said it, should you do it? (laughs) So that 2,000 word piece, if you're trying to go after SEO rankings, absolutely. You know, make it 2,000 words, make it heavy, comprehensive. But if you're serving an audience, that might be more based on social media, like let's say that's where your traffic comes from. Maybe you wanna think about doing content for social traffic goals like a Twitter chat, like your social ROI chats and putting resources into Building that type of content, a live community, a podcast, maybe short-form blogs that are around seasonal events or your products. So you want to think about that and really balance out that long-form content. You shouldn't only do those long-form guides. You know, I think people's attention span, especially these days, is really short, and you still have to keep that in mind.
0: I'm looking at your article now, and this is actually, it's a great article, this one that's ranked highly just Google, if you're listening to this podcast and have access to your phone or computer, just Google blogging statistics and uh, have a look at the Express Writers article. It's a great article because you can scan it really quickly and easily, but you get a whole chunk of value mm. really easily. And it's uh, if you, especially if you're looking to justify to your boss why you need to start blogging, this article really drives it home. The importance—it's oh, um, really inspiring me to get back into the office. And just go, come on, guys, we need to find—we <laughs> need to find some good uh, guest blog guest bloggers and contact people. We've 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 let that um, slide a little bit. Great, and I, I guess in terms of becoming a good writer, any tips? Any tips for someone who's listening that that does have a bit of time in their business and can actually um, do a little bit of blogging? It's so seldom that I'm impressed by non-professional people's writing, Julia. Mm. What tips do you have for people to improve their their blogging writing skills?
1: Great question. Well, (laughs) I've been blogging for seven years, and I think I got clear on that question, that particular question. Like, how can I be productive, efficient, and on top of my game? I really only answered that in the last year, (laughs) So, you know, for six years I was putting out so much content and part of it is my mindset. So whenever it comes to how you think about content, it's really not, okay, I got to get something out for that deadline. I got to jump on this deadline. Let's get something out. You have to switch your mindset over to what I like to think of as like constantly cultivating for ideas. So if you're in the shower taking a walk, you know, doing something with your team and you see this question come up over and over from a customer, or you're thinking back to a conversation you had, or, you know, if you're sitting in front of, let's say your computer, just do some research, use BuzzSumo, look at topics in your industry, look at Quora. What are people asking on Quora in you know, social media marketing? What's the most upvoted question? There's so many ways to get ideas. And, if you can narrow it down to one idea that you really want to answer, then just put a lot of time into, okay, let's outline it. So think about content creation in stages instead of just a one-time go, and it'll be so much easier on you. And then in the end, you get a much better piece. So with me, I have one week where it's all ideas. I just research, 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 keywords, topics. And I'll notate it in a task that I have that's either an Apple Notes or a Google Spreadsheet. I just keep it really simple. And then in the next week, I will outline something. So maybe we want to create a 2,000-word guide on how to write evergreen content. That's actually going out next week. So four weeks ago, I looked up keyword opportunities for that topic. And then the next week, it was... Outlining stage. And then the third week, it was creation stage. And all of that really helps me stay on top of my game. Like now I'm actually a month and a half ahead on our our content on a regular basis. That's never happened before. So, switching my mindset to just constantly cultivating ideas, looking for those ideas. And as soon as you have one, jot it down. And it can be an email you send yourself, a text you send to your teammates that idea that you can have in a moment is like where some of our best content pieces can come from just in that split second of ideation and And then from there staging out your content just not doing it in one go
0: and in terms of the actual writing process i mean uh, i mean did you did you go on writing courses did you have a writing mentor have I, when I started doing my master 's degree and I was struggling because I did an undergrad that was very mathematical so i didn 't actually write a lot in my undergrad, I actually bought a book on how to i can 't remember what it was called it was it was how to write well or write academic papers or whatever and it actually really really helped me it actually really hmm. helped me so I mean, one, one thing in this day and age where I said to one of our team members, our nearly 80-year-old team member, Jimmy, yesterday, I said to him, you know, these days you don't really have to work out anything yourself, right? I mean, you could just Google how to get good at writing and you can become a better writer. But I think probably your best bet is just practice and mentorship. And I think with writing, yeah. never, ever publish your first or second draft, ever. Yes, yes. Um, Give it, give Absolutely. it at least half a day. Fresh eyes, look at it. Come back the next day, fresh eyes, and look at it. And the reworking and the rewriting—that's where the magic comes in. Writing a first draft's really easy, but to go to the second, third, and fourth, that's where the hard part is. And preferably have a sub-editor to to help you. Um, so as you can yeah. hear, there's there's um, it's not it's not as simple as just w- firing up your WordPress and just whacking in it through a f- few thoughts. If you want to do it properly, there's got to be some intent. Speaking of which. <laughs> Julia, platforms, I mean, I get asked this a lot. Does it really matter whether people use WordPress or Squarespace or um, Ghost or, or, or something custom or Medium or any thoughts around the platforms for small businesses?
1: Yes. Well, I would say if it's your site, as opposed to you putting your content somewhere, which that's medium, that's not your site, that's you choosing to put your content on their platform, which that can be great for a variety of reasons. Medium now pays authors that get a lot of traction. But like, let's say your goal is building up your own site, getting that traffic in Google, getting those rankings. So I would, definitely recommend WordPress. It's just the most SEO friendly. And then you have a really awesome little plugin called Yoast that helps you by telling you how good the SEO is in your piece. So all you have to do is enter your focus keyword in Yoast. And then it instantly tells you, Oh, your headline is missing a keyword. Your meta description doesn't have one yet. And then it takes seconds to go in and fill that out.
0: Fantastic. I'm actually I actually just googled how to write well, and um, the snippet which it pulls up from a site called Write, write done dot com. Give it a rest. Read out aloud what you wrote. Search and destroy weasel words. Trim sentences. You need commas. Don't overdo the punctuation. Pay attention to verb conjugations. Ditch extraneous tags when writing dialogue. Um, anyway, you can re- so yeah. Google how to write well. Just from that alone, you can pick up a few things. Um, I know we're going to wrap up pretty soon. Julia, um, people forget a little bit about YouTube as well, right? Now, I've, mm. um, I think if you're creating audio content, Twitter content, social content, podcast content, and even YouTube content, in an ideal world, if you can take that and you can wrap that into a blog post. I know James Altucher does this. With each podcast that he um, releases, he writes a long blog post around themes and his thoughts and his experience around that podcast like for instance this podcast in an ideal world i mean we put show notes up but in an ideal world i should should sit down for two three hours and actually write about a bit about content marketing a bit about my reflections and meeting you talking with you and actually creating a content piece that would tie in well with this in an ideal world right
1: Mm, right <laughs> bau
0: <laughs> bau i've got to get in. i've got to get in and uh yeah it's sort of uh, sort out the the, the day today but i think youtube youtube is a i mean it's the second biggest search engine in the world videos can go nuts on youtube if you're an authority i think if you're in a small business as well don't neglect youtube um when things start going on youtube they really start to go right
1: Yes, absolutely. And, you know, that's something I started doing as well. Later, I think after four years of blogging, I was like, okay, I'm going to start a YouTube channel. And I only have about 10 or 12 videos up. But I created a few videos that still get comments and shares, just because they were really useful. And I actually took a lot of time on those videos, I added a little bit of effects, I made it fun. And I was cutting and splicing, and then I actually wrote out before I filmed what I wanted to say, and I had points. So it was kind of like an article that I made into a video. It just took me forever, and so that's why I don't do those as much. But yeah, just having a few videos on a YouTube channel around showing your expertise, what you know that can really make your name go far, and it can get traffic and shares and bring you potential leads as well.
0: Particularly in certain niches, there's all these interesting niches. Someone was telling me the other day that the niche on how to videos of for women to put on makeup is a massive niche on mm. YouTube. Yeah. Um, so again, depends. You know, True. it's not going to be applicable to everyone, but depending on your business, maybe if you're selling a, a home improvement product and a how to, you know have Tons of YouTube videos on how to, and people will discover. I mean, I do believe everyone can benefit from YouTube, but in particular niches, particularly the how-to space and the education space, it's really, really useful to um, to consider YouTube. And it's just, I think YouTube's going to continue to flourish, and and I think even podcasts are going to sort of merge in with YouTube, and it's all just going to become multi multimedia type content. And what people don't realize as well is yep. a little bit of a tangent. Did you know, Julia, that there's a product called YouTube Premium where you can pay 10 bucks a month and you can remove ads from your YouTube? Did you know about that?
1: Yes. I keep getting my little one is on my phone, my four-year-old. She's on my phone all the time looking up her cartoons. And we get that ad served to her almost every five minutes. <laughs> YouTube wants us to pay them.
0: It's so worth it. It's the best... YouTube really? Premium and Spotify Premium are probably the best value of, of anything. And I just, yeah, I love my not YouTube Premium. But it only works in the U.S., Australia, and I think there's one or two other countries. So if – and you notice it when I travel and it, there's no YouTube Premium, I actually – not only does it remove the ads, it lets you listen to the audio on your phone of the YouTube video and navigate away from the, the app, right? So, wow, that's smart. So you don't have to have the YouTube app open if you 've got a YouTube premium. You can go and you can you know work on your emails and continue listening to the youtube so Google's not paying me for this ad, but YouTube premium is I love it <laughs> I, cons- I consume a huge amount of content and to have it ad free and to have a lot of flexibility and you can download the videos and you can do all sorts of things ten dollars a month. What a world we live in! You get all this free content for ten dollars a month. It's like <laughs> still excites me. Um, <laughs> Julia, we got to we got to wrap this up. It's been a great chat. We've gone all over the place, but um, check out Julia's website, um, Express Writers, if you need some help with your content strategy. Um, I like Julia's approach in that it's not it's not gimmicky, right? Stay away from the gimmicks. Mm. Like the gimmicks just don't work in the long term. Like no, uh, they don't. <laughs> yeah, do, do things from, from first principles. Um, mm-hmm. So I've been chatting with Julia McCoys, the CEO of Express Writers, author of Practical Content Strategy and Marketing and educator at contentstrategycourse.com. Julia is going to be writing a book about her life and she is writing a book about her life, which I'm going to be very excited to. Um, I'd like and we'll, we'll have you back when the book's out and we'll talk just about your life. We'll leave the content strategy because I'm sure people are very interested in, in your um, slightly uh, unique story and best way to contact you people can find you on linkedin twitter i'm sure all across the board right
1: yes absolutely julia e mccoy on all platforms
0: and uh yeah reach out reach out to julia we'll put um your details on the show notes as well really appreciate the time good luck with this those search rankings let's uh, <laughs> let's have a friendly competition to like next time let's let's sort of have you know a show and tell again because in our game i love it traffic traffic is the the currency so it's just a bit of fun as well so thanks well, Julia. so you, rank for, a, Sorry, you but, rank
1: for a one-term keyword i don't know if i can do better than that
0: come on you actively blogging you know this stuff i mean we yeah so mm. um who knows we, we we probably got to not take that keyword for granted and, and do some work on that as well oh so, absolutely um, always
1: updating yes
0: always updating so julia thank you so much for being so generous with your time and um, all the best, and um, no doubt we'll talk to you when your book's out.
1: Thank you so much. Sounds good.
3: The It's a Monkey podcast is brought to you by Check Dog. Use Check Dog to easily review and monitor your website for spelling errors, broken links, and broken images, all with the push of one button. Check Dog can also automatically monitor your website and notify you of newly introduced spelling errors. Go to checkdog.com forward slash podcast to receive 50% off your first month subscription. Checkdog.com, helping the world's leading websites keep their content error-free. Kate, more than
0: ever, content marketing, a lot of people that ask me for advice about um, how to get an online presence, it's just more than ever content and even more than ever, and, and I don't know, maybe this is reflective of my age being in the industry, but I even think good old fashioned text blog posts, right? I know that social and video and Insta stories and, you know, I was going to say Vine, but Vine's no longer. <laughs> but Good old-fashioned, long-form, well-written text pieces perform incredibly well, right?
2: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think for SEO reasons, longevity is good. Not for longevity, sorry. Long-form articles is good. But in this, like at this time in tech... It's a lot easier to consume videos and photos or podcasts, things like that. So that's what you're up against if you're writing a really long blog article. So sometimes it might be better to keep it kind of punchy or mix the content. So have your have your short blog article that's kind of punchy and then say, here's a recording of the full, you know, the full chat or, you know, more more on this topic on our YouTube channel or something like
0: that. Yeah, and I think I mean, YouTube, and we've spoken about this before. I think is just incredible. Speaking of which, um, slight tangent. YouTube was down this week for, I think, between one to two hours. Really? You might, yeah, you might have been sleeping. Um, it was about. I'm trying to remember. It was about one p.m. Sydney time, or somewhere around there. I tried to look up a video, and yeah, it was it was Arrow Ring, and uh, it yeah, it immediately started trending on Twitter. YouTube was down. I took a screenshot. Quite remarkable that I think what people forget that building software is incredibly difficult. Google and Facebook and some of the other companies have made it look really, really easy, but it's actually really, really difficult. Mm
3: -hmm. And,
0: um, yeah, even people, companies with billions of dollars behind them get it wrong sometimes. They didn't actually mention what happened it just apologized and brought it back up after about two hours. I can't remember YouTube being down before. I'm sure it has, but I just I can't remember off the top of my head.
2: I can't say I've ever noticed it coming down, but I don't sit on it a whole lot either.
0: yeah, there's this phenomenon which I think we've spoken about as well that for that there's a bit of a male skew on YouTube, which I'm quite intrigued by I'm not, I, I sort of wonder why that is. I think it's about don't quote me on this. Even yeah, I don't know, fifty-five percent male, sixty percent male, versus female.
2: There's got to be an online study or something on it.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm almost a bit surprised you don't use YouTube more because there's talks and content and just absolute high quality content and absolutely everything. I mean, can you? It, it, what is it that just is it just? No particular reason, or you just don't find yourself on there, or you 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 don't like.
2: I find myself there when I need a visual walkthrough of something. It's usually like a real world problem. For example, I, I used YouTube the other day, and Google for the matter. I read an article, slightly like you know skimmed it kind of thing. I was um out camping, and we were <laughs> struggling to get a campfire started. So you think it was pretty straightforward, but, uh, it just wasn't happening. So I ended up Googling it to see if there was some kind of trick or something that was missing. Oh yeah. We got there in the end and it was like, it was a fun exercise and stuff, but, um, that's what I'll use YouTube for. Here's a problem that I don't know how to solve it, but I need kind of some kind of visual or someone to talk me through it. I'll go to Google and I'll watch a YouTube video. But if I'm doing something for leisure like if I'm watching TV or something I just I don't go to YouTube I would look at yeah, my social channels I look at Instagram things like that if I want to watch something I'll probably go to Netflix
0: interesting yeah you see mm.
2: if I want to learn something I'll go to TED Talks it's it's an interesting yeah can't tell you why
0: for me I, I have to be honest I find Instagram boring <sighs> I've've I've tried to love it and the odd occasion I see a great photo you put some great photos sometimes I don't know I just I just if Instagram disappeared tomorrow like I wouldn't miss it and you know I I can appreciate it and I like from a technical founder perspective I like seeing how they iterate the product and I like seeing the way people use it but on a personal on my day-to-day level I feel it adds very very little Twitter on the other hand yeah, I learn everything there. Facebook, mixed. But YouTube, YouTube what? I mean, I've got a premium subscription, so I just listen to it a lot, right? Because you can minimize it on your phone with a premium subscription. Um, so it just acts as an audio player for me. And
2: Interesting.
0: The algorithm, it's just fantastic. I mean, I think the algorithm's really confused by me, though, because I listen to some concerts, some music, and I listen to some… Um, intellectuals like jordan peterson and then i'll listen to some a lot of tech talks so the algorithm i think can't is struggling to pigeonhole me a bit and i get this sort of interesting mixture but it gets it right and it surfaces some interesting videos and what i like is it surfaces long form and short form Mm -hmm. and what i like as well with youtube is that you do have playlists as well so i can push stuff into watch later i can put uh you know evergreen stuff i want to keep on listening to there's some tony robbins talks that are just so fantastic that i put on you know a list to listen every few days in terms of uh, managing your own psychology Hmm. and i find the versatility of youtube um, is only matched by twitter and i actually don't actually watch a lot of it i actually mainly just listen
2: Hmm. yeah the listening is a big one it's one no. of those things, like if I'm trying to find a podcast or something like that, I might go to YouTube to listen to something like that or stream. You know, sh- there might be a, what do they call it, like a playlist. I know we create one for the social ROI chat, but other other channels have uh, these playlists and they're all related series-type content. Something like that's quite cool sometimes, but it's just very rare personally to, to do that.
0: Yeah, fair enough. It's always interesting to see why why people use different products. Um, and but I I do think the premium, whatever it is, ten twelve dollars does make the difference. It removes all the ads and lets you minimize and just listen to it. So I think. Um, but yeah, anyway. So creating content. I mean, there's YouTube and things do get surfaced. And uh, I, I don't know. I think I don't. In a way, it's more difficult to make. A, I mean, it's it's easier just to flip on your camera and just record something. But with writing, you're almost forced to edit, you're forced to review. Mm. You, it's, it's a little bit harder to be sloppy about writing than it is to be video. So in a way, you, you forced down this path of, of trying to create something a bit more quality. Whereas with video, it's, it's a little bit too tempting just to hit record and have a very poor video.
2: No, that's true actually on that point, I was actually thinking I'm, you know, it crosses my mind sometimes when people are doing these live videos from their phone and stuff. I think, oh, it's a good way to sort of get yourself out there and get yourself talking. It's a good confidence booster. But honestly, I think exactly the same thing. I think if I had to do that on the spot, I'd probably say a lot of crap before I got to the point. I mean, and like that's sort of why I don't like listening to people when they broadcast sometimes, because unless they're quite professional, good speakers, they kind mm. of faff around the point too long and I'm you've lost me. So that's why I get that issue with like going live on Instagram and, and Facebook and stuff like that, is sometimes it's super engaging and sometimes it's just two people that kind of they just gel and the conversation's interesting. But other times it's like they never really getting to the point and I, you know if I want to learn something quickly it's not the way to find it.
3: yeah
0: I agree with you I agree with you and um, look I mean even Oprah who's one of the best broadcasters in the world she's got two podcasts uh, and one of them I think is an hour and one of them's half an hour and it's highly highly edited right mm. so you know they obviously rip out a lot and just bring, make it tight. And it's a difficult thing to do and it's consuming, time consuming to do. And we don't edit this podcast for two reasons. One is, I mean, we do, we lightly edit it, but we don't edit it down to, you know, 40 minutes or something. One is it's a huge amount of work and there there is a place for a longer form chat, but um, it can, and we probably do go on tangents that I hope don't bore people too much. (laughs) But yes, um, it's, but Long-form blogs and writing, I mean, if you're listening to this podcast and you're looking at upping your presence, everyone's an expert in something. And you don't have to be – I think some people Kate, get intimidated by writing and think they have to be an entertaining writer or a funny writer or a unique writer. You don't. You just have to be a clear writer,
3: mm.
0: right? You yeah. just have to write clearly and logically, which I believe anyone can do. Yeah. I think anyone can – You and, and if you're an expert in your field, you know, I often find in Google searches you'll search for, I don't know, after hours locksmith or something, and you'll find someone that did bother to write an article about it five years ago, and this thing is still ranking like crazy, Yeah, you know, even in obscure non-techy areas.
2: Yeah, it's quite good. Good for SEO, good for lasting content like that. It's it's a smart thing to do. And a lot of non-tech businesses kind of forget that. For example, like locksmiths and things like that. You know, they on one hand, there's no real need for it. You know, their customers aren't there to read about their blog. The customers are there for them to fix a problem. Uh, but on the other hand, it gets them ranking really high in Google, which makes people click and call them.
0: Yeah, and Google likes that because it's answering a question for its users, and that's what Google wants to surface. Mm. So Google doesn't mind that people aren't finding, you know, they, they're only finding that through Google. Um, the other customers that come on the site don't really read that article. Google doesn't mind that. That Google just cares about the fact when someone searches for a question that that website has answer.
2: Yeah, exactly. Hey, it'd almost be worth some of those like small businesses and uh, more uh, industry trade service jobs that – um. They actually just write really short, punchy like FAQs or something and make them into blog posts. It'd be worth it in a way for their SEO.
0: Yeah, definitely. And um I love writing, but it's it's writing well is time consuming. Um and you need also to be it's sort of like development, or maybe you find even with design, you've you've got to you've got to be in the zone, you've got to be undistracted and you've got to sit down and do it. It's not it's You've got to focus, need some focused attention.
2: Definitely. I feel like good writing is like good design. It's like you kind of have to do it so well that it's, you can't notice it. So when you're reading it, you're just naturally just reading something. You're not picking up on any errors or thinking that doesn't Mm. make sense. It's just got to kind of be there and be invisible in a way.
0: There's a, there's a flow to it.
2: Yeah. Yeah. There's
0: a flow to it. Which actually um, is quite
2: hard to achieve.
0: Look, writing well is incredibly difficult to achieve, and I'm—I I'm mean, all of good writers. Uh, thinking of all the, the books that I've read, that, that where the writing is exceptional, but I think people mustn't get intimidated. As I mentioned, to write clear on a blog post is fine. You don't need to be an award-winning writer. What I find really helps is, I think, I think two things help with writing. Right? One is. Your expectation needs to be that you're going to do a few rewrites. You actually just have to expect that. Don't expect that you're going to sit down, write 500 words, and that's done. Right? That's maybe halfway. Have the expectation that you're going to have to rework and edit that because you will to have something. Any, Any writer, I mean, how often do you write something and you wake up the next day and you read it? And it says something that it didn't say in your head at the time, right? Exactly. In your head, it was saying something different.
2: Yeah, it's not the way you imagined it to be.
0: Yeah, yeah. So then I remember when I was doing my master's thesis, I would every day, It was my day was broken into two parts, was rewriting the day before, 500 words, or 1,000 words, and writing the new batch. And it was just like the rewrite and the new write and the rewrite and the new write and slowly moving forward. But it was always uh, – yeah, and you always nail it out. And, you oh, this is great. This is a great 500 word. You read it the next day and it's like, wow, that's really not that great. <laughs> so, look, I don't know. Maybe people that write the whole time, journalists and things like that, maybe they get a lot better at it. I don't know. But uh, I've always found a rewrite is necessary. And to give it time, you know, to, to to bring your own fresh eyes to it is important. So give it a little bit of time to be able to be critical of your own work. For sure.
2: Yeah, you need to sort of sleep on it and come back to things sometimes.
0: Yeah. Anyway, I think we've gone on all sorts of tangents as always. <laughs> um You've been listening to episode 126 of the It's a Monkey podcast. You've been with myself, Kevin Garber, CEO of Managed Flitter and Managed Social. You can follow me on Twitter, KE underscore GA. You can follow Kate on Twitter at Kate frappel. We'd love to hear from you. Drop us an email, podcast at itsamonkey.com. And we'll see you over the next couple of weeks. Thanks for listening.
2: Thanks. See ya.